Welcome to another episode of Under the Blanket. And here we are in the here and now. This is it. In fact, listener, your whole life has been leading up to this very moment. All those here nows you had in the past, do you want to collect dead butterflies? Or do you want to be right here with us? And we are under Raji's blanket, deep in his heart, where we see, as he would say, sub X, it's all one. Now, I have with uh, a new guest on my show, Sita Ram Das. Say hello, Sita Ram Das. Hey, hello. Good to have you on the show. Yeah, man, it's really good to be here. And you just, I've never heard that expression of picking up dead butterflies, but <laughs> I like that. Well, I, a lot of my stuff that I come up with, I took from Ram Das lectures. So uh, I guess uh, people could look at me as I, you know, took in his stuff and made it my own and mixed it around and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think that's what it's there for. I didn't think he copyrighted all his sayings, you know, because I don't think that's what it's about. He was he was sharing all that stuff for all of us, you know. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Exactly. Now, I'm going to I, I you sent me a, a copy of your book. I'm going to read a poem I found in there that I felt was pertinent before we begin the discussion. I think you'll see what I mean by that. Okay. All right. It's called, here we go. True conversation. True conversation is not the swapping of words, the trading of dogma, or the switching of casings that harden the heart. It is when the shells shatter from a swelled heart blossoming that we are truly born again. All right. That's beautiful, man. And I, the, (laughs) the, the original word in it is true conversion, but I like, (laughs) I mean, yeah, converse, true conversations oh like that, God, too. Oh, my God, I read It's so weird. I read it, true conversation. I swear, in my, you know, that's what Ramda says, desires create a reality. Maybe my desire to have a poem pertinent for our conversation <laughs> created me seeing conversation instead of conversion. But, either, you know, it works either way, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like a... Just a beautiful little cosmic humor moment. Yeah, right. It's definitely a cosmic humor moment. And, uh, you know, uh, so we have to live by both renditions of the poem, the conversation and the conversion. Maybe there's a listener out there that will feel that kind of mystic inner conversion, not to any particular path, but to that, uh, as Ram Dass would say, going from the ego to the soul, perhaps. Yeah, and I also think it's appropriate because you you started this by saying that most of your stuff came from Ramdas, but then you changed it, and then <laughs> you just did the same thing without knowing with one of my poems. So, um, hey, why not? Why not? We'll just we'll just it's a new remix that you just created in this moment spontaneously. Yeah, there you go. I like it in the same way. And you know, Ramdas is one of those people that was cool with it. You sound like you're cool with it too. Yeah. But, you know, there's people out there that they're so like uh, Metallica, 
you take their song and make it a little different, and you'll get sued, and they'll have one less yacht, and they'll be sad about it. But that's that's their karma they got to deal with, you know. Yeah, we, we we all got our karmas. Right. So anyway, um, I I felt we could start uh, with uh, you telling a, a story of your awakening. From what I read, you you spent all these years working for Ramdas and his place in the last 15 years of his life. Uh, and you had this awakening during that time. Uh, if you could go into that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I, I can share this. I'll, I'll take a step back because I've been thinking, you know, when you said that you wanted me to talk about that and I was thinking about the time restraints and also thinking about how as I'm on all these different podcasts right now and not wanting to tell the same story. And um, so I was thinking about a unique aspect of my awakening journey that I could tell that would be short and fit and also be unique for this moment. Um, and it ties into my time with Ramdas, and that'll connect, but it's a little bit before that. Um, so if that's all right with you, I'll, I'll start a little bit before my time. Is that all right? That sounds great idea. Go for it. All right. So I was 22 years old. This is like 15 years ago now. Um, and I had been experimenting with psychedelics uh, as my primary vehicle, you know, for awakening uh, for a few years and really was just nose deep in it for about the last year at that time. And I had all these profound awakenings, you know, and psychic experiences and astral trips and all sorts of intuitions about the perfection of the universe but none of them were strong enough to really shake out my doubting rational mind and you know all, all I was really getting from them was kind of this new belief system is kind of what I ended up feeling like you know I was just forming these different beliefs but it, I didn't have that depth of faith behind it you know it just felt like swapping ideas around in my mind you know our psychic, you know, our psychic reality is real or not, you know, is are levitating saints real or not, you know, just, it was all just ideas. Um, so the trip would end and doubts would come in and, you know, I just didn't know. And I started to get really fed up with that. I just, at my core, I just needed to know, like beyond a doubt, that God was real, that the soul is eternal. You know, I just... I just needed to know it just something, you know, really deeper than the mind. And so there is this real thirst and hunger. And so uh, at this point, I was actively experimenting with lower doses of psychedelics um, and doing so in conjunction with meditation and pranayama and other techniques. Um, I was just, I was a little bit more invested in, in that aspect of things. And on this particular day, I believe I took it was two hits of LSD, which isn't a small dose, but it's not, you know, like some heroic dose either. Um, and I took that and I started to have all the same normal stuff and, you know, thinking like, should I, you know, practice this pranayama technique or that or go into this trance or, but I was just fed up with all of it. All the things that I had been trying to do, I just didn't feel worth it. I just wanted to know God. And I remember this moment of 
okay, I have to know God. I just have to know and like kind of going out in my consciousness. But then at some point realizing like, where am I even going? I'm just essentially going towards some concept that I don't even know is attached to a reality or not. So I thought, okay, I don't even know where to look for God, but I do know how to look for myself, right? I can turn myself inward. So that was kind of the first realization on this trip. So I attended my attention to my breath and I'm following my breath, go in and out. And there was definitely that calmed the anxiety that I was feeling. You know, there was this sense of calm, this sense of peace, and it felt pleasant. But that also wasn't giving me what I was looking for. And I remember this other realization that came in. And these realizations were very unique to this moment, which was, well, I'm not this breath either. And so then what I did is I decided to hold my breath. And, you know, with the aid of the LSD and that heightened concentration and, you know, all of my attention kind of got narrowed down under this pinpoint prick of really intense energy that we might call pain, right? This point of where uh, I was holding my breath. And and as it got harder and harder to do, you know, my will got strengthened and strengthened. I just narrowed in my focus on this one point and everything else fell away where that was literally the only thing that existed in my consciousness. And then it came the next realization, which is that, well, I'm not this pain either. And what happened at that moment is still hard for me to describe, but my consciousness lifted off from that so that now at that point, that was the only thing that existed sensation wise. And now my consciousness had lifted from that. So there was no body consciousness. There was none of the normal sensory consciousnesses. Um, all I was left with was my thoughts and what my thoughts did was freak out, which was that, well, I just left my body. And when I left my body, I wasn't breathing. <laughs> like, am I going to die? And I, I went through this whole tumult of trying to figure out if it mattered or not, if I died and if I should be freaked out. And, um, and I, I came to, and then I had this moment, I actually saw this image is so striking and it's, it's kind of this beautiful, rich image of my parents reading the newspaper and seeing on the front page, this front page article that said, young man dies trying to find God on LSD. You know, it's like, you know, all that. And I had all these images of my friends, like feeling sorry for me. Oh, like, oh, this confused guy. And um, as I'm swimming through all these thoughts and these doubts and these anxieties, uh, a couple more realizations came in, which was that one, if God was real, I would rather die knowing the reality of that than live the rest of my life not being sure. And then the flip side of that too, which was that, well, if God's not real, then I guess it doesn't matter anyway. You know, I'm going to die eventually anyway, and none of this matters. And so I just decided just to give it all up, all of the anxiety, all of that kind of clinging to life, just this whole attachment karmic loop that my mind was in. And I just let go of all of it. And I got to have that moment of that clear white light of consciousness. And that was really profound. But 
What was even more profound for me is what happened right after that, which was that when my thoughts came in, I still remember the first three words that came into my consciousness, uh, into my verbal consciousness, which was that the three words, I love you. Yeah, that, that essence of consciousness, that nothingness of my being that is the everythingness of the universe, that essence, like, I love you. And from there, then the breath came back into the body, animating my body, and I came back into body consciousness and world consciousness. And um, But I got to, for that moment, relate to it all in a different way where it was all a manifestation of God and and I love you. And yes, I don't exist and, and me and God are one and that nothingness and everythingness, but still, I love you. And um, it, it was a spontaneous thought, those three words. And over time, I've come to see that, that that's really my root path through this life is as a devotee. And, uh, you know, that realization, um, you know, led me to do Buddhist meditation retreats and kirtans and live out of my car for a few months and eventually led my way to meeting Ramdas. And, um, yeah, I got to live with him for a few years and... Uh, serve at the house. And um, it was there that um, that first realization could actually deepen into something that um, wasn't just a memory, but could be an active practice and an active reality of living from. And, you know, the, the main thing that I got from being around Ramdas was just seeing that that, that core truth of existence um, it's not something that's despite our humanity or what's left when our humanity goes away, but it's actually infused through our humanity. And that's what I saw through Ramdas is that he was deeply human and that that love, that loving awareness that he taught, it shined through the totality of his humanity. And it, it just, it gave me hope for myself. It definitely uh, inspired me to dive deeper into the spiritual path and to commit myself to practice and service and, and now here I am with you, and we get to talk about all this stuff. Oh, uh, that's that's a beautiful um, story that you said, and it makes me uh, recall that saying the one plays as, as the two. You went into that oneness, but then you were like, I love you. And in a way, perhaps you were going into the playing as the two, the devotee, I love you, to the one, the guru or God. So you love God, I love God, I love you. And I've heard teachers, they put down those words, I love you. But, you know, it seems to work for you big time. And, you know, what's wrong with the one having a little fun with itself by playing as the two, as the devotee looking to God to love God in that I love you way? Perhaps you could comment on that. Yeah, well, I, I think what you said right there is really beautiful. And this is something that, as I've also kind of channeled my intellect into the devotional path and started to study the scriptures and to get an intellectual framework from that specific relationship, I, I've come to see a couple of things, which is that, so you know, I think a lot of us are familiar with that metaphor of different paths up the mountain, right? And yeah, I've heard that one, at least me, I've heard it. 
Yeah, and in a way, it's there's things I don't like about the metaphor because it's kind of hierarchical and other things, but it is a very clean metaphor. So I'm going to use that. So anytime we're talking about the peak of the mountain, we're not just talking about the peak. We're also talking about the path because the path is the angle that we're looking at that peak from. And so what happens is, So for, for a devotee, when, when we look at the top of that peak, we're, we're more prone to say that, that the essence of reality is love. And someone on another path might be more prone to say that it's consciousness or that it's nothingness. Or, and if we have this framework of sub-act, we can see that they're all true. But also, we all kind of have our root way of how we relate to it. And how we relate to it is going to say a lot about our path to get there as well. And the, a lot of the non-dual traditions, um, right, they might not teach this essence of I love you, right, as a path, but there's a difference between the non-dual reality and the path to get there. And a lot of the non-dual paths have this element of intellectual non-dualism as a part of the path. But that's also dualistic in the same way that I love you is dualistic. And so for a devotee, yes, we are playing with duality, but we're really only playing with it in terms of languaging. But what it's awakening, what it's awakening in the heart is a non-dual state because it's love and love is the essence of reality. So for a devotee, like, yes, I know that it's all one and nothing and everything and that there's no separate me. And I know that. But what's really going to get the juices of my heart flowing, what's really going to open myself up to that presence of loving awareness is that devotional love poetry. So, so devotion, it's only dualistic really in, in the verbal kind of intellectual realm, but what it's awakening is, is non-dual. Yeah, that's beautiful. I also uh, practice that devotional love poetry. I find it's helpful to, uh, you know, uh, but what could you comment on? Uh, what about the, you know, Ramdas uh, had the eclectic sort of thing where he did, you know, the, the, the devotional stuff. And he also did uh, meditation and things like that. I, I, for my practice, I mix it up with uh, uh, quieting the mind and opening the heart practices. Could maybe there's a listener out there that's like, you know, kind of torn a little bit between uh, the meditation practice type practices, scripture reading, and devotional poetry stuff, or Bach Kirtan singing bhajans. And they're like, I feel I can't sort of, you know, how maybe you could help that this listener uh, come together with all that stuff. Yeah, well, I think Ramdas's core teaching on those things is that we. At the end of the day, all we got to listen to is our own intuitive heart and we got to do what feels right. You know, I also, you know, there's this other realm too of like the devotional path has meditation, for instance, as a part of it, just like a lot of Buddhist traditions have elements of devotional practices in them too. So, you know, these different kind of root relationships you know, that's different than all the different type of practices that we might pick up. And yeah, Ramdas absolutely 
would do extended meditation retreats and other things. But for him, you know, he's talked about, you know, the the essence of it for him, they weren't actually really eclectic because for him, it was all coming and stemming out of that core worldview he had of Guru Kripa, which, you know, is that he saw his entire life as a manifestation of the guru or a manifestation of God. And because he was in love with that, he wanted to keep climbing towards that and also saw that that was just the way that grace was manifesting in his life in that moment. So, um, you know, there's this element of trust on the path that, you know, we don't have to box ourselves into these different categories. We just do what feels right. But over time, as we learn things about ourselves, we start to figure out what works and doesn't work. And um, we start to get yeah, more comfortable with maybe certain practices that at the beginning of our journey didn't make as much sense to us from an intellectual perspective. And that's the reason why I often try and reframe devotional practices the way that I do, because the beginning of my journey, you know, dev, you know, Buddhism made a lot of sense to me, but, you know, practicing devotion, that seemed less than. And what I've seen over time is that, you know, it's just as deep of a practice and it's just as intellectually rigorous it just makes a little bit less sense to, I think, a Western rational mind in the beginning. Um, but we don't need to pick and choose these things. You know, it's just we just follow our heart and we have that trust. And then over time, we'll start to notice certain patterns. And we're like, OK, this is kind of what works for me. And we just start to trust and rest into that. That's beautiful, you know. And uh, perhaps you can also comment on this uh, that someone out there might be thinking about or dealing with is, uh, you know, Ramdas often in his lectures had talked about methods being traps. Like you don't want to end up a Buddhist. You want to end up a Buddha. You don't want to end up a Christian. You want to end up Christ. You don't want to end up a meditator or an acid head or whatever. Like, could you talk about the tricky issue of getting trapped in the method where someone could say be really good at meditation and and get into that but they're just so trapped that they they're in they're that's their trap they're just a meditator you know perhaps you could comment on that or, or say or in, in this path of devotion what about the path say of the Hare Krishnas where they they'll put down someone for even suggesting that it's the oneness and I heard a Krishna person once told me about like that's hell that's hell to not be dualistic to not think krishna is the ultimate way and the only way the highest way and to suggest that i'm krishna that's blasphemy in fact in the christians they have that issue too if you say you're christ they're like what what no that's blasphemy so perhaps you could comment on that stuff well i think there's two things going on there so one on the idea of methods and traps, the other part of that teaching from Ramdas is that for a method to work, it has to trap us. And so with our discriminating wisdom and our intuitive heart, the idea is that we are picking methods that we trust will self-destruct or leave us when they need to. But but we don't need to actively like try and, and leave a method. I mean, you know, when we have trust, like for instance, you know, this idea of 
the guru being a method. I mean, that's Ramdas never let go of that method, right? He his trust in Maharaji was so deep and so strong that he knew that if he just focused on Maharaji, he he knew that he didn't even have a choice that Maharaji was in control of the whole thing, right? That's a deep trap. I mean, that's a deep trap in that worldview of Guru Kripa. And um, that trust and that faith was so strong that he knew that he could fully relax into that, right? Yeah. And that's that that relaxation into that. I mean, that's what takes us all the way, you yeah. know, as far as I can tell from what I've read and beings I've studied and been around. Well, so, that's, that's very beautiful. I, I, when you mentioned that, I immediately what came to me was a memory of on Skype with Ramdas, and I was with my uh, partner, and he was talking to us uh, in that heart-to-heart thing that was available, and uh, it was really beautiful. And then he started talking about how he's the little soul, and he's looking up to, you know, Maraji, the big soul, and all that. Yeah. And I just wanted to have a little bit of cosmic humor and play, and I was like, Ramdas, you're copping out. Come on, you're Maraji. Just say you're Maraji. <laughs> I just couldn't help myself. And he loved it. He was laughing. And then he was really getting into it. And at the end, and it was near the end of the session. And then at the end, he said, I am Maraji. And we, I was cra- And then he hung up right after he said that. And me and Elise were cracking up. And uh, <laughs> so perhaps, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. There was that part of him that was trapped by the method. But, you know, there's there was that place in him, uh, in us, in all of us, that's not trapped by anything. You know, right. that it's that sense of being on the middle of the path and opening our eyes for eternity. So perhaps when, you could talk about that. Like, what about when you're on, like, your experiences, when on the psychedelic, you were on the middle of the path, so to speak, but you had opened your eyes for that moment of eternity, right? Right. Well, in this... This also, I mean, this ties into the other part of what you were saying about, you know, certain traditions and their dogmas. And, you know, I, the non-dualists have their dogmas about dualism, and there's definitely some dualists that have their dogmatism about non-dualists, right? And, you know, what I'm trying to express is, you know, the way that I conceptualize devotion is almost like this middle path between those two. But separate than all that, right, is so we can be trapped by our method because we have full trust that it's taking us all the way and that it is just the perfection of the universe manifesting in our life in that moment. And we can also hold it lightly at the same time. And that's the difference between belief and faith. Faith is that inner knowing of the heart that just has that trust that doesn't necessarily need to prove things or put other things down. Um, because it's okay with the unknown and, and all of the inherent kind of uncomfortability of life that's there versus dogmatism when we take a certain thought form a belief and we harden around it it's almost like taking sand and adding water to it and compressing it really tight to create this illusion of solidity right that's a mental construct that we do um, and we do that as a coping strategy because we can't deal with the totality of existence itself and that's the kind of thing that leads to wars and murdering other people and putting down other traditions. And, and of course, we all do it in our own ways, even little ways. We all have these beliefs that we kind of hold to and we cling to 
that have kind of attached themselves to our faith. And with a little bit of discriminating wisdom, we can start to see the difference because faith is essentially what's left when we've let go of clinging in the mind. And the irony of it all is that, you know, we can only see where we're caught when we see it. And until then, we don't know. And so um, we just got to do the best that we can. Yeah. And this has been a beautiful conversation. I really appreciate you having you on the show. And I'll have some links in the description of this episode, listeners. So check them out. Uh, I thank you, Sita Ram Das. And uh, here we are. Here we are. This, is, this has been Under the Blanket with your host, Bobby Here Love, uh, being reminded by myself, of myself, for myself. And, and I love you. And I love you. Ram, uh, Ram. I feel the love right now. This is really, really, I feel that warm, you know, that oh, that heart space. And this, this Eve doing a podcast is a practice as well, I've found. And yeah, I just, you're a really great vibe. And I appreciate all you have to say. Thank you again. Absolutely. All right. Bye bye. Ram, Ram. Ram, Ram.